Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new Jams and D podcast record club, where each week one of us recommends an album for everybody to hear, and then we review it. And sometimes we recommend more than one album. Last year, one of my favorite episodes that we did was uh, our dual episode on the Beatles' Revolver and the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, where we took two different albums from two different bands that were both from the same year where the bands had kind of influenced one another and we kind of unpacked each album individually and how they contrast with each other and what that said about the state of pop music in the 60s and what that said about each of the bands and their respective approaches to how they made those albums. And today we're doing something kind of similar. They're not albums or even artists that are as closely comparable as the Beach Boys and the Beatles, but still have a kind of similar sort of common thread of DNA between the two of them that leads them to be very comparable, but also very different and revealing in much different ways than those albums we talked about before. So today we're going to be talking about the Battle of the Piano Men, as it were. We're going to be talking about Elton John's album, Honky Chateau, and Billy Joel's album, The Stranger. Two very, very high watermarks for these respective artists in terms of both critical and commercial appraisal. Uh, this is by no means the most successful uh, Elton John album. I want to say that's probably Yellow Brick Road, if I had to take a guess, but Honky Chateau is certainly not far behind it. It's got some singles that are absolutely ubiquitous in the world of 70s pop music that are 100% inescapable. And basically, same thing with Billy Joel and The Stranger. Honky Chateau, notably, actually just recently got a huge reissue with a bunch of like bonus tracks and a remastering. So that's the version of it that I listened to. Sounds absolutely excellent. They didn't come out in the same year, but it is a sort of comparable period of time in the 70s when the both of these artists were having their heyday. And the kind of dichotomy I want to present here today and that why I think these artists are comparable, it goes further than just sort of them both being piano men balladeers. They're also, notably, they used to be friends who even toured together uh, and sadly had a bit of a falling out um, due to uh, Billy Joel's uh, alcoholism. Uh, and Allegedly, that, that was what Elton said. Uh, well, and- yes, that that is what Elton was talking about. But uh, it, let's just say that Elton had a less than charitable response to uh, Billy struggling with something and having to drop out of a tour that they were doing together. And some not nice things that Elton said in an interview that did not involve Billy, uh, but that he made about Billy, um, which is sad because they are old friends who work together a lot and they seem to be kindred spirits. But. What I want to talk about is that on these albums, there was a sort of undercurrent that I couldn't ignore because I wanted to talk about these two albums in tandem just because they're artists that are deeply embedded into my childhood because of their music, these albums very specifically. But there was also a sort of theme between the two of them in that in this album, Elton John feels like he is an outsider looking in, in the world of almost like Southern rock, very American-oriented music. Elton John, a British man, was not. And he's kind of using his like typical theatrical verve to explore this world as, you know, someone who's kind of 
putting on the clothes of someone who belongs in that world, who isn't traditionally from it. And Billy Joel, on the other hand, on The Stranger, is kind of playing the titular role of The Stranger as somebody who is on the outside, sort of on the fringe of society, looking in on the more metropolitan sound that uh, Billy came up in, being, you know, from New Jersey and what have you. So you have two artists here who are very much leaning into what makes them great and kind of what makes them a little bit similar, but also something that makes them very distinctly different from one another based on the clothes that they attempt to wear. And on Honky Chateau, that manifests with a bit of a Southern rock bent that has sort of manifested on other albums that Elton made before this, but probably the most strongly. And also it sort of appears in the title, you have Honky Chateau, which, you know, very funny, very wry, very sarcastic. I think Elton can be seen as sort of a predecessor for lots of similar sardonic theatrical piano men these days. I think yeah. Father John Misty is maybe the biggest successor to Elton John's sort of uh, place in the musical world. Riley, as somebody who is less familiar with uh, these albums, particularly Honky Chateau, uh, actually, have you had you even heard an Elton John album in full before this? You read me like a book. This is, was my first Elton John album in full. Of course, I'm familiar with Elton's music. Uh, Elton, I suspect, is probably historically even bigger here than he was in America. I mean, like mm -hmm. El the 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 songbook of Elton John is an institution here in New Zealand, and he is a treasure, as he is, of course, all over the world. Um, but the the popularity of Elton John here in particular makes me feel especially bad about not having dug into his work from an albums-based perspective until this point. And I've had so many of his records in my library kind of waiting for the excuse to do that and just kind of, you know, not just putting it off. And I, I dipped a little bit into Goodbye Yellow Brick Road when we were talking about it in terms of bad songs on great albums in a previous Now episode, just because I wanted a little bit of context for that. So I dipped into that record then. But again, I haven't really given Elton the time of day fully as much as I should have in terms of records. So I got to Honky Chateau this week. And already, like, it's apparent the cultural playfulness, I guess I'll say, that Elton's appropriating here for lack of a better word i mean the title is a is a nice little juxtaposition between like kind of american slang and the fact that the record was recorded in a lush chateau in france as well this kind of bridging of the you know the uh the upper class european or the kind of you know fantastical european with the the real streets of the u.s sort of thing you know it's inelegant it's not something that's particularly you know thoughtful all that much but it's something that elton uses as a kind of way of of, of jamming charisma and jamming perspective into these songs I mean, especially opening with a track like Honky Cat, which I did know, one of the one of the Elton, mm. mini Elton John songs I was familiar with, one that immediately puts on display his sense of humor, his cheek, of course, we have to mention this in the context of his long-lasting and very fruitful collaboration with Bernie Taupin as well, who's a huge part mm -hmm. of the record's identity and of the songwriting, of course, as well. The sense of being out of place that the record kind of already 
adopts with this, but not in a kind of melancholic, lost way that might be more akin to someone like Billy Joel, but more in a sense of like kind of putting yourself out there and being boisterous and kind of going against the grain in ways that maybe make people feel uncomfortable or in ways that maybe are just unconventional that very much establish a lot about Elton's persona that would go on to define so much of his music. I mean, this was a successful record for Elton, uh, but it was certainly in the early stages of his crossover success. I think it's at an interesting point in his career where you can really sense the domination that he would come to have, but it's also kind of tempered with some more kitschier elements in some of the deeper cuts that maybe make it more of a relic of its time than a fully enduring, you know, out and out masterpiece. Although I do think that the record holds up very well as a whole um, compared to, you know, let's say the, the similarly kitschy, but, maybe more tasteless and less well-realized elements of something like you know david bowie's diamond dogs for instance this mm -hmm. is just something that's a little bit you know a bit more kind of comfortable in its skin than something like that and really owns that super well you know honky cat being one song as well but also the equally eternal mona lisa's and mad hatters i mean that feels like a really important song for elton wouldn't you say Oh, 100%. Uh, used very, very memorably in the film Almost Famous, um, which is probably how I was first acquainted with it. And it seems to sort of... Uh, what I like about this album is that there is kind of a bit of a subtle arc to it because it starts off with Honky Cat and it's this song that's like, I mean, first of all, an eternal, you know, piano pop jam just an abs like an insatiably catchy song with lots of little different instrumental details and some of elton's best piano playing um and it's this song that's you know get back honky cat better get back to the woods of people kind of mockingly chastising the main character of this song to you know go back to the little town that you came from which is curious because that's so distinctly not what you think of when you think about Elton John, who is this, you know, higher class British theatrical kind of guy. And we do kind of forget, though, that Elton, relatively speaking, had kind of small beginnings in like a lowly British suburb. So there is kind of a, a bit of connection with where where Elton came from and kind of transplanting that identity into something that's a little bit more distinctly American. But you still feel a sense of the character in the song being very out of place, but wanting to fit in, wanting to move on. And in the last two songs, notably more uh, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's, you sort of get the sense of climactic appreciation for the differences of the multiple characters and walks of life and people that he's kind of met along the way. And that's sort of reckoning with the appreciation of, you know, it, it's a very kind of subtly melancholic song because it acknowledges the sort of darkness and lowliness and just general sense of ennui that these characters can exist within. Uh, but it sort of frames that as being a, a learning experience, something that you can like move on from and look back fondly on. Yeah. And the final song after that, Hercules, which notably is not, it's not his given middle name, but it is his taken uh, middle name, which is interesting because I feel like you can almost see that as a kind of embracing of oneself, but not something that is like, 
authentic. It's uh, Elton is all about theatrics. That's his entire musical career is about theatrics in one way or another. And some of his most vulnerable, interesting, and generally speaking, best moments are when that theatricality kind of drops a little bit. And the sort of celebratory nature of Hercules is kind of different for him because it's not one of the more poignant songs. It's one of the more uplifting kind of uh, I'm still standing-esque kind of songs here that make it a little bit more uh, irreverent on the face of things, but still feels like it kind of ties a bow on the kind of thematic arc of the record in a way that I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but notably here, though, is that it stays in that kind of lane, dwelling within these sort of uh, you know, the, the Southern kind of outsider perspective that he's leaning into can be found at various points throughout the album. But I think the, I don't want to say inarguable highlight, but I mean, the song this album will be remembered for is, of course, Rocket Man. I think it's interesting because it is such an outlier on this album. And it kind of follows in the stead of other albums too. Uh, my other kind of like favorite Elton John album is Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And in my opinion, the best song on that album is also Someone Saved My Life Tonight, which is a very bare kind of emotionally forthright song that there's no real mistaking it. This is a song that is about Elton John, like the actual real human being, no veneer necessary. And Rocket Man is also kind of that, like it, it, it's that, but in a very specific way, because he's kind of taking from, I mean, you actually already mentioned David Bowie. This is a very kind of Starman-esque song where you're using a, you know, the space metaphor for what I think is the the alienation of fame. It can be more broadly applied to just, you know, a song that is about, you know, being away from your friends, from your loved ones and the alienation that that causes. But to me, this is Elton singing about the distance that he feels from the normal, untheatrical world that he finds himself in at this point in his career. Mm. It's a, it is an enduring classic. I would say that it is the definitive Elton John song and as much as anyone can be, uh, it's the one that I think, uh, I think of first when I think of Elton. Um, and for all the reasons you've said, I think it, the obvious reference point is Space Oddity, which also was produced by the same person, I believe as well. So I think wow. there's, a, there's a kinship there that I'm sure Elton is channeling, uh, intent with intent. And it is a deeply moving song. It's well positioned at the center of the album, I think, as well as extolling a feeling of alienation, but also a feeling of embrace and comfort within a role that, yeah, there's a weariness to it that's incredibly powerful while at the same time being weirdly affirming. You know, it's a complicated mm -hmm. song emotionally, and I think it hits those beats really, really beautifully. I mean, that's why it's as endearing as it is. I want to circle For back sure. a little bit. I want to take a step back a little bit to those last two songs on the record that you, you mentioned, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's and Hercules. You know, Hercules being, I didn't know that it was Elton's adopted middle name. That's really, really interesting. I think the way that the song is simultaneously, you know, a down-to-earth moment of like self-actualization while at the same time being very playful with reference obvious references to roman mythology and the song it's and the song title itself and in the reference to diana as well uh, it, it's very colorful it's very um fanciful while at the same time that fanciness belying a, a deeper 
honesty and a deeper intimacy about Alton that he was mm. always dressing up in theatrics. I think that's what makes Rocket Man so powerful is is the way that it kind of it 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 takes that you know a deeply personal feeling and dresses it in this sensational almost science fiction sort of fantastical setting and and it's such a a, a clear recognizable emotional one-to-one that it's you know immediately quite resonant just from the setup of it but um i think that mona lisa's and mad hatters with it being a kind of song about new york specifically and about you know the the complexity of that city and the 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 how inadequate any attempt to kind of define or condense into a single song the reality of living in that space is you know in that sense this is the point in the record that has the most overt overlap with the stranger i think in a song like moving out yeah which is similarly kind of attempting to capture something broad and not necessarily all-encompassing but something fairly broad about the experience of living in new york and the experience of of living in the biggest city in the world and the effects of that the you know the idea of of being so deeply tied to that cultural environment but also the idea of wanting out and how is it is it even possible to fully escape the biggest city in the world and is that escape really going to be meaningful um the songs have i'm not saying that that mona lisa and uh, moving out have the same aim but i'm saying that there's a kind of shared emotional core to them based in that setting absolutely and in the feelings that that setting evokes but yeah just to stay on honky honky chateau one of my favorite songs on the record one of the songs that really stood out to me immediately listening to it um both for its i mean it, it's not necessarily one of the most i mean this isn't a record that's overflowing with like moments of emotional rawness i mean that's what makes mm-hmm. rocket man so impactful is that it is so emotionally raw by contrast to the vast majority of the record i mean there's moments that present emotional rawness as a kind of like glib joke like songs mm-hmm. like um you know i think i'm going to kill myself which is just from the perspective of which you read you see that song on the list and you think oh wow okay what is this going to be and it's just a song from the perspective of a spoiled teenage boy who didn't get what yeah he and you know songs like like salvation as well and slave to a certain extent that are a little bit more kind of you know melodramatic you know and over the top and glib um but one of the songs that really stands out to me as an absolute highlight is mellow which is yeah. one of the most musically satisfying songs on the record as well. Again, kind of irreverent and silly uh, in terms of the content of it, but there is this stunning electric violin solo from Jean-Luc Ponty, which is probably my favorite musical moment on the entire record. Just really so great things together so well and shows how ambitious Elton and Benny together already were in terms of what their songs could be that in particular stands out to me. And I think that another, I mean, I, I think that the whole A side of this is fantastic. I'm particularly also enamored with Susie, which I think is another mm-hmm. highlight of the record, a, a really swaggering and amusing tongue in cheek song that is so seventies in so many different ways has a really great slick guitar solo in fact, one of the things that makes this record so satisfying to me as someone who really values like s- musical and studio craft in great 70s rock records 
is how immaculate this record sounds. I mean, the fifth anniversary, the 50th anniversary remaster, absolutely, I'm sure, does it some favors. That was definitely the version mm -hmm. I listened to. But listening to it, you get all of the, the slickness and the perfectionism of a great yacht rock record in the context mm -hmm. of something that's so outwardly, you know, I don't want to say silly necessarily, although there's plenty of elements of silliness, but just so like camp and and rambunctious. I mean, basically. it's very uh, meatloaf. It's very Jim Steinman in that regard. Yeah, but it's also kind of a, it's also sort of ahead of its time in that respect and that it's doing a lot of those things you know, at a point before they really crossed over into camp ostentatiousness like they would in the late 70s and through into the 80s. It, it has that greater sense of craft to it. But yeah, no, I think I don't have a huge amount of amount more to say about this album in particular. I think it's a, a really fun and, and really flavorful and characterful record. You know, there are moments that I'm not as into. I do think that Slave is somewhat of a misfire. But um, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you there. And it's funny because I have a similar problem on his last album, which is very similarly comparable to this one in that it has two incredibly famous Elton John pop songs and then a lot of deep cuts. But it also has one song on there where he kind of writes from the perspective of Indians on an Indian reservation in America. And <laughs> it's like this... This this outsider mentality that he's embodying when he tries to sort of, you know, try on the clothes of being a, a, a Southern American, it, it's pulled off really, really well, it, theatrically, albeit, but still really, really well. And again, it's very flavorful. It's very full of personality. And, you know, the Southern rock bent here is felt a lot of the time. And it, it's really cool. Um, but then when he kind of leans into that aspect, it sort of borders on being like, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's like offensive. It's just tone deaf and kind of odd. Like, like the thing is, too, about both of these songs, Indian Sunset, A Madman Across the Water and Slave on this one is that like as tunes, as songs, they're great. They're they're really well composed. They're really catchy. I like listening to them. But then again, lyrically, you're just kind of like, I don't really think this was necessary, honestly. Like, we didn't really have to reach for this level of profundity. Like, it, maybe we should keep the, the perspective here a little bit more in line with where it was on the rest of the album, which is, you know, it's already taking on a new kind of uh, set of clothing, so to speak. And it just kind of feels like on, at some points in his early career, Elton just kind of tried to wear too many hats. I mean, the same thing can also be said of Jamaica Jerkoff on Yellow Brick Road. Like, Elton is the king of having these absolutely incredible pop albums that still hold up today. And there's just one point on each of them where you're like, this well, is I think a the, little bit. I think that the nature of Elton's irreverence, Elton and Bernie's irreverence, yes. It's something that leads songs like Slave and, and Jamaica Jerkoff to be kind of an inevitable byproduct. Although I will say, I yes. think that Slave is a good song, like on, on, on yeah. basic levels, like especially musically, it has a great slide guitar solo and it has a great um, banjo contribution from Davey Johnston, um, both of which oh, I yeah. really elevate the song. There's a lot going on musically that I really, really love across this record, to be honest. I mean, I, I that's the thing, even when I am less attached to the style of the songwriting on songs like Salvation and Hercules, for instance, I am still gripped by the camp fun energy. We have these songs that have been written by Alton and Bernie. How can we 
express them in as colorful a way as possible musically and i feel like the the record's greatest success is the way that it consistently manages to find uh, surprising and unique and layered ways of building these songs up so that they become more than just uh, the writing on the page and that's i think the most endearing and alluring aspect of the record is the way that you know you have a fairly unified and consistent aesthetic across the album, but you have various different explorations of, of ways to um, imbue that and ways to realize that, like with the kind of more sort of southern bluegrassy approach on songs like Slave compared to um, other songs on the record. So yeah, you have a a good sense of of dynamic range across the record musically that makes it feel very exciting, very fun, very easy to revisit. And also allows Elton and Bernie to kind of smuggle some more depth than you might initially realize, you know, in terms of the songwriting on songs like Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's and songs like Rocket Man and, and Honky Cat, for instance, and Salvation. Um, you don't necessarily pick up on on what could on what's going on at a deeper level there with the writing uh, initially. Um, because you're so enamored with the 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 color and the 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 decadence of it all, basically. I'm weirdly into a lot of bands and artists that I feel like are incorrectly perceived as singles artists. Uh, another band that comes to mind is somebody like Queen, where their singles are just so successful, like these titanic movers and shakers of pop music that are just emblems of pop culture at this point. It transcends even like music. It's just it, it's just the thing that exists in the world that everyone knows about. But Elton's one of those people who I feel like has a real artistry to his records and to his character and to his writing and that, you know, that quintessential partnership with Bernie Taupin. I feel like this is the album that I would recommend people listen to first to get into him. And I say that not because I think it's his best album. I decidedly think that actually it's I, I might not even put this in my top three of his, like maybe. Uh, but like I think his sort of two twin masterpieces are Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Captain Fantastic. Captain Fantastic being the kind of taut, no misses, all killer, no filler kind of perfect record and Yellow Brick Road being the the double album, you know, masterpiece that we often talk about. But Honky Chateau is the accessible one to me. And it's got a little bit better of a hit rate than Madman, in my opinion. But like, if you're looking to get into them, start here, in my opinion, and then just basically go through the debut to uh, Captain Fantastic. And hell, maybe even try something like Blue Moves, just because that's a double album that probably doesn't get the attention that it quite deserves, considering how many good songs are on it. But like that run of basically everything he made from 1969 to 1976, basically everything there is 100% worth hearing. Conversely, on the other side of things, we have Billy Joel, who has always had a way more complicated relationship with both the more populist music consumers and critics. He's always had a contentious relationship with critics. That was something that famously frustrated him a lot, even though he never at any point in his career kind of made an attempt to sort of pivot to appease critics. He never did anything that was, you know, tried to keep with the times. Thing is with Billy Joel is that he's always just kind of been 
himself. And that's sort of the appeal of him as well, is that Billy Joel's this guy who I feel like is most often talked about in the same conversations as Elton John, just because they did know each other and they're both very notable piano men, but also with Bruce Springsteen in that they represent a kind of working class American in the snapshot of the time in which they made music very, very quintessentially. And whereas Bruce Springsteen was kind of that for the Midwest and for Southerners, Billy Joel was kind of that for, you know, the coastal but more New England, still kind of blue collar working man kind of people. And not to say that Billy doesn't have a catalog of music worth hearing. He's got plenty of albums that are, other than The Stranger, that I think are great. I think, like, Piano Man is fantastic. I think Turnstiles is terrifically underrated. Glass Houses, The Nylon Curtain, Stormfront is super fucking underrated. But as an album's artist, Billy is a lot less notable than somebody like Elton, in my opinion. So Elton obviously crossing over to the US from the UK. Honky Chateau was his first album to go to number one on the US charts. He obviously has this sort of kitschy outsider appeal that's entertaining and that is a way, I guess, for American audiences to engage with and kind of continue to welcome into their culture a, d- a different kind of approach to to popular rock music basically that that mm-hmm. you know the arsenal was widening you know ever since the beatles and whereas billy joel you know i think that bring talking about billy joel in context of springsteen's interesting i think a lot of the conversation around billy and critical circles does kind of end up making this dynamic i mean you have bruce who's famously from new jersey whose music kind of mm-hmm. represents a sort of reaching a yearning you know, Bruce being in a living and growing up in a context that's a little bit closer to kind of the wilderness, so to speak, while still being kind of imbued in in an urban landscape. Whereas someone like Billy, who grew up in the Bronx, you know, heart of the city, like right in in the depths of the bowels. Classic New New Yorker. Basically has a different perspective, right? Less immediate proximity to the wilderness, to, to the lands beyond, you know, much more urban. And so... There's that dynamic that I, I guess critics have enforced where it's like, you know, Bruce is the is the searcher. Bruce Bruce is the one who looks to, you know, looks across the water. Bruce is the one who looks the distance and and dreams of, of driving and driving and driving. Whereas Billy is, and Billy's music, I guess, is more about, I don't want to say about being stuck in an urban environment, although, you know, a song like Moving Out certainly, you know, evokes the desire to be free from the constraints of a, of a shackling environment that's come to, to be the architect of your entire being, to sculpt you in certain ways that you're becoming more and more conscious of. But, you know, certainly Billy's music and songs generally you know, occupy this more this this mindset of of more urban concerns as well it's less about you know the relationship between you and what else is out there and more just about kind of the relationship between you and the concrete jungle environment at least in my perception i have more of a relationship with the stranger than i do with obviously any of elton's records having only heard one album in full for the first time recently this is an album i've known for a while though i know this album better than i know any of elton's records 
I have a slightly more contentious relationship with it than I do with any of Elton's music. Elton was someone who always had a kind of immediate appeal to me because he fit in culturally so well with the world that I grew up in. His irreverence, his slanted take on things, his queer, but not in a gay way, but just in a kind of unusual way yeah. approach to things uh, was something that resonated, you know, deeply with me before his actually queer approach to things also began to resonate with me. You know, Alton's view and Alton's style is so in keeping with the, the environment that I grew up in. Whereas Billy's more sort of, I don't want to say adult contemporary, but just this kind of like, you know, you know, middle to upper class kind of ennui, isolation, you know, being married and it sucks, you know, kind of thing that he occupied was something that by the time I came to resonate with the core of that emotionally, I was already into other artists who were, you know, more in the indie rock realm and more in the modern realm. Matt Berninger. I always kind of felt a little bit alienated from Billy Joel. And to be frank, the Billy Joel songs I heard growing up, many of which are on this album, I found to be kind of tedious and I found to be kind of anodyne and boring. Again, this is me as a kid, right? I just, songs like Just The Way You Are, songs like She's Always A Woman, especially, which is still a song I have a bit of a weird relationship with and can't fully get on board with for complicated reasons. But when I was a kid, I thought, oh, this song is fucking stupid. What a fucking dumb, bad, dumb, bad, dumb song. <laughs> I just found as a kid, you know, and as a teenager, you know, as a very pretentious teenager, especially, I found Billy's approach to be just kind of... Modeling? Well, yeah, more than in a certain sense, but that's not a good word because that wouldn't explain why I couldn't connect with it. I connected with plenty of more than music, but, but just kind of like coming from a place, not even coming from a place of privilege either, because that's not right, but just coming from a place of like self-concern in a really like self-conscious and sort of gaudy way that I, that I resonated with when it was coming from a kind of more sort of, you know, Midwestern, like, you know, youthful and troubled and emo perspective but when it was coming from the kind of slick i've got it all i'm in the city i'm i'm, I'm of new york or whatever i don't know it's really hard to articulate it but i just felt this kind of coldness towards i think part of it was maybe due to how culturally omnipresent billy joel was as well he just seemed like someone who represented all the things that me as an angsty teenager was kind of rebelling against you know what i mean and then as i've gotten older and as i've gotten more into music that comes from a lot of the same places as Billy Joel, you know, music, you know, yacht rock music and music that comes from that kind of slick, highly produced, very sort of urban um, environment of the seventies. I've come to kind of appreciate it in a different way. And so I've always sort of been at a, had a weird relationship with the stranger in particular, because from the first time I heard it as an album, it was like, it was an album. It was like, it was two albums to me. It was one on the one hand, it was the set of, incredibly immediate and vibrant and very colorful songs that had this really ambitious thing going on structurally that had this really really great and immediate writing style that represented largely the songs on the first half of the record and then there was this other you know class of the stranger songs there were the more i guess culturally enduring ones 
that adopted a kind of more straightforward, I suppose, musical expression that I'd heard a million times and that I really kind of struggled to engage with that felt a little bit cheap to me, particularly songs like Just The Way You Are and She's Always A Woman. And I think a part of that was not fully understanding the 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 tone that the songs were appropriating as well there's a a little bit more emotional nuance and a little bit more complexity to the tone of the writing on this album that i think i i really fully grasped the first time i heard it because i've always loved songs like moving out the title track scenes from an italian restaurant vienna i mean those four songs i think are just untouchable frankly they're they're impeccable songs but i think that the songs i was more familiar with from cultural osmosis were the ones i struggled with a bit more because they i I felt as though i guess maybe it was over familiarity they were offering less to me and that they were in some way more two-dimensional and i think now giving this record a fairer shake and approaching it more for what it is and seeing it more in its totality, I see that that's not really the case. This is an immaculately constructed record. It's an immaculately engineered record as well. It's the first of many collaborations with Phil Ramone, uh, who uh, who I believe Billy started working with because of his work with Paul Simon, uh, producing that Paul Simon's biggest solo record up until this point, which I think was still crazy after all these years. And so, um, you know, Billy was attracted to him for that reason. It was interesting to read as well that he initially wanted to have this produced by George Martin, um, but that didn't end up. Interesting. Um, that didn't end up working out. But I think as it is, it's an exciting, it's a bustling, it's a vibrant, it's a colorful, it is a sad album in a way that Honky Chateau isn't really. You know, apart from Rocket Man, which itself is more bittersweet than sad. There's a lot of you know melancholy within this it's again melancholy that's channeled and realized in a bit more of a kind of slanted way you don't necessarily feel overwhelmingly sad while you're listening to it maybe in choice moments but generally it's a record that negotiates the melancholy of a of a shallow urban existence or an urban existence that's becoming more and more shallow uh, in ways that are quite deft and quite understanding and quite poetic even i think the title track is a great example here i mean the concept of the stranger being you know you can read that as how you feel within a particular context you know your distance from your environment but also within the song more textually it's about the stranger being a side of yourself that you choose to put on for people or you choose not to put on for people depending on how vulnerable you feel depending on how comfortable you feel depending on the kind of person you want to be in the context of your close interpersonal relationships the things that you fear about yourself the things that you fear about the the what the possible inevitable failure of those intimate relationships with the kind of tra- great tragedy of the song being the ultimate realization that you've been so consumed by what side of yourself you want to show this other person that you failed to pick up on the fact that they too are going through that exact struggle and that the side of them you thought you knew was the front that they put up it's a masterful song um it's so emotionally I mean, impactful. not to get too high-minded about it but i've always i've always been fascinated with jungian psychology and this is basically just the song about that entire principle uh and i find it fascinating just because this is the song that kind of lays out 
a kind of statement for the entire album is that I feel like Billy on here is assuming the role of a kind of omnipresent stranger that is looking in as like a narrator on other people's lives that exist within that urban environment. The Stranger has been one of my favorite albums since I knew how to consume albums as a format. And a lot of it is nostalgia. I'll definitely give you that much uh, because I, I mean, I listened to like every single song from this on a huge compilation CD that my mom had in the car. I've heard every single one of these songs at least a hundred times. Again, that's lowballing it really. I hold The Stranger in the same regard that I hold like Fleetwood Max Rumors, where every single song feels immortal. Every single song is this timeless piece of pop and rock music that just will be with me until I see my last moments on this earth. Like the, again, uh, Moving Out is just, again, one of those sort of immortal pop songs that I just absolutely adore, kind of sets the tone for the record really, really well. Uh, the Stranger kind of introduces that sort of nocturnal, jazzy, metropolitan vibe that I absolutely love that just, it really connects me to a part of my childhood because I'm somebody who, I kind of live on the border between the the country and the city of where I live. So I've been constantly bouncing back between places that are very distinctly rural and very distinctly urban throughout my whole life. So whenever I associate myself with Billy Joel's music, I associate with going into the city, seeing this, this bustling like place that I'm just not familiar with that feels kind of alien to me. And it feels deeply immersive, especially on songs like, I mean, God, the immaculate scenes from an Italian restaurant, this in, this huge multi-phased song that's just Billy cycling in and out of sonic ideas, of instrumentals, of character portraits. And like, it, it's something that he does throughout his entire career expertly. I mean, the song he's probably most closely associated with is always going to be Piano Man, which is, you know, a song that is nothing but various character portraits with the loose framework of the piano man playing for them in the bar. And that's more or less the entirety of The Stranger is he is the piano man that is soundtracking everyone's lives here. And the way it just segues in and out of these ideas so flawlessly and with such like relative slick ease, it's it, it has a similar confidence that uh, Honky Chateau does in its slickness, which I think is like at its most comparable in just how it segues in and out of its moods and ideas. And similarly kind of has its own Rocket Man moment with the sort of centerpiece of the album, which is Vienna, which is just, My I mean, I have always felt a, a deep connection to this song just because it is, this is something I find really curious about the title track of this is that there's a part where he says, like, you know, the, the stranger isn't always evil and he isn't always wrong. Like, the way he kind of portrays it is that it's just sort of this amorphous reflection of who you are. It's not something that's wholly good or wholly bad. It's just something that is in opposition to you or is in opposition to some part of you. And it feels like that this part is this sort of trying to give sort of this not quite tough love advice, but just sort of a more realistic approach to life that will lead the character in Vienna 
to having a slightly more positive outlook about sort of like staying within your reach and your grasp and to not, you know, be disappointed in yourself because the ambitions of your life haven't like fully played out yet. Not everything good that is going to happen to you is going to happen to you immediately. And it's a really sobering song that's peppered throughout lots of songs that have these very high stakes emotions that do have complexities to them, but still are overarchingly are one thing. I mean, she's always a woman and uh, just the way you are very much that. But I do, I, I actually didn't expect you to have this take just because I thought that like previously you'd actually mentioned listening to this album on a, what we've been listening to years ago. And you were just kind of like, yeah, I really liked some parts of this album, but other parts of it I just don't really care for. So I was fully prepared to be the one person in Billy Joel's corner for this, just because if Morgan joined us, I, it's just not the kind of album I expect him to enjoy. But so it's interesting that you came to that conclusion just because I was very much ready with the defense of that because songs like She's Always a Woman and Just the Way You Are are songs that the more I've listened to, the more I've appreciated the complexity of them just being like way more than Billy Joel just kind of cheesily serenading a woman. Because when you actually look into the lyricism, yeah. it is a lot more complicated than that. Well, okay. So I have, there's a few realizations about what Billy's doing on this record that have really helped it to click with me you know to the point where I, I love this album now and i never thought i would get to that point hell yeah i do love this album and one of the things that's so compelling about it is that it's simultaneously a series of lessons that billy is imparting but yes there is a context that is set that billy is maybe not the best at following his own lessons not the best at even internalizing or understanding the point of what he's saying that's given through the songs that are that come between the big sort of moments on the record where billy is kind of you know making these grand statements about human satisfaction and the pursuit of love and the pursuit of of contentment and life and all that kind of thing the the context of the relationship songs on this to Billy's marriage to Elizabeth Weber, I think, embellish and add depth to the emotional stakes of this in a way that I think are really, really interesting, especially with the dynamic of the two songs that I always struggle with the most on this album, Just the Way You Are and She's Always a Woman. Now, there's an interesting dichotomy between these two songs. I mean, Just the Way You Are is this like, it is as you would expect from the title if you didn't already know the song, it is a song about trying to convince the person that you love that you love them for things that are inherent to who they are that are not things that they need to worry about shedding or that they need to worry about being you know revealed for the fast that they are or whatever it is a, it is a very you know blanketly straightforwardly you know romantic song that has a lot of affection deeply with within it and to consider it in a dichotomy with She's Always a Woman, which is ostensibly written also about Elizabeth Weber, and is a song that has a much more bitter tone to it while still oh, yeah. ultimately reaching the same. I, Just the Way You Are and She's Always a Woman are both songs about how much Billy loves his wife. Yeah, about this 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 deep connection that he feels to her this this you know this feeling of, of the fact that this is the only person for me and that this person is all i care about to a certain extent and this person is you know all consuming for me and yet they have such different tones in the way that they express that you know just the way you are is so gushingly romantic is so kind of like 
you know, almost hallmark in its obviousness. And then she's always a woman is like, you know, this is the, this person is the person I love the most in spite of all of these ugly aspects of them, you know, essentially of, the, of this inherent selfishness of this brittleness of this brutalness of this, you know, violent temperament that they have of this, you know, self-indulgent attitude that they carry themselves with you know it's really interesting to, to consider that these two songs are written about the same person at the same time on the same record because they approach that relationship and that love with with such vastly different perspectives or with such vastly different tones you know one is is warm and, and empathetic and loving and supportive and the other one is like this bitch is so annoying but she's she's my annoying bitch god damn it. <laughs> it it is kind of that like i i remember listening to these uh to she's always a woman as a kid and i was just like half the things he says in this song aren't really nice yeah. i don't understand if, why if, he's saying if, that if my partner wrote that song for me i would be a, i would be greatly offended like it, it, it and, is it is an insulting song and that is one of the reasons why i think i struggle with it as a kid or as a teenager because like i i assumed well and, and maybe not wrongly but like i approached this as some kind of like i guess i didn't have the fuller context for how billy talks about his interpersonal relationships and the difficulty that billy has in expressing himself in those contexts across this record you know the whole thing is kind of this in interior internal examination of how lovable billy perceives himself to be and how much billy perceives himself as being able to love to a certain extent and so i i think that these two songs don't aren't amazing songs in isolation but as a kind of duo on both sides of the record they complement each other in a way that builds them up to something greater and that's ultimately what brought me around on some of the more kind of i suppose two-dimensional or what i perceived as kind of hackneyed individual songs on this record however songs like scenes from an italian restaurant and moving out and vienna I mean, I've always loved those songs. I mean, especially, I mean, Vienna is timeless it, 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 for all the reasons that you've stated already, Jake. It's a song about kind of getting over yourself, being kind of learning to get over yourself and learning to get over your self-indulgence and kind of recognizing a, a better and fairer, more equitable, but also more life-affirming way of viewing the world inspired by seeing, you know, an elderly woman sweeping, uh, not because... You know, she lives in a capitalist hellscape where she has to do it, but because she finds joy and purpose in maintaining that role, even at a time when, you know, and where Billy's from, you know, you would be expected to kind of lay down and die and that the kind of internal periphery that that brings. Yeah, you know, it, it's an album that captures Billy, I feel like, in the state of realization of a lot of things, but still also being kind of immature and that aspect of it that way in which it captures the simultaneous immaturity but also this kind of realization seeing the world in a different way and of the fact that this interior very cynical and very hardened mindset that billy has developed from growing up in the bowels of new york city and kind of having this you know chiseled into you this 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 very gritty and rough view of the world that that Billy is kind of examining 
and maybe questioning in certain ways, but also not necessarily fully escaping either. You know, it's meaningful that the record ends with a song like Everybody Has a Dream, which is one of the most like ostentatious and sort of like, you know, you know, over the top and kind of, you know, dramatic songs on the record musically that also sees Billy confronting himself and confronting basically everything that he's extolled on the record and all of the the perspectives that he's imbued and all of the hopes that he has for his future and for his relationship and kind of just acknowledging how much of a how unreal it is you know how much of a desire it is how rooted in aspiration it all is basically how it could all come crumbling at any moment and how that should be ideally the impetus for viewing the world in a more positive light and a more kind of hopeful light and a more I guess aware and open and mature way as opposed to in a hopeless and despondent and nihilistic way you know it's Billy kind of offering to himself the chance to actually grow up and actually mature and that subtle arc that the album has makes it so much more than I originally thought of it as a as a younger person. Not only is it a more nuanced perspective than you might initially give it credit for, the, the sort of conceptual bent of the album feels so strong when you take into consider what each song is actually doing. Like, I love that you pointed out the similarity between just the way you are and she's always a woman, them being kind of separate reflections of the same person, which is totally in keeping with the whole stranger concept and i love those songs purely because of how far they lean into those opposing tones it just emphasizes the contrast within one person you have just the way you are with these kind of lush you know saxophones that sort of segue in between the verses it's it's exactly the kind of sappy instrumental tone that you might associate with somebody like billy joel and then she's always a woman is more reserved it's a bit more plaintive it's a bit more sedate but without feeling like minimal or anything it's just very well captured in its own tone and that contrast is is beautiful on both sides of the record and similarly i i kind of view um vienna and only the good die young as sort of companion songs as well basically they are a, they are songs that are about the same thing it's again just done with different tones vienna is just kind of it's aspirational but it's also mournful it's a song about reconciliation and about how difficult that is to do within yourself and then it sort of feels like Billy is singing to this person and then is still singing to that person on Only the Good Die Young. And it's just like, now that you've taken this advice, go make mistakes. Go lean into the fact that your life is not going to be perfect or as ideal as you envisioned it and learn from them. One of my favorite lines he's ever written is, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints because the sinners are more fun. And that's like the modus operandi for this whole album, I feel. It's just exploring different aspects of humanity and about how the flaws, especially the flaws within Billy, are the most interesting parts, but how they don't just exist as, you know, bad marks against people they are what make people who they are especially in contrast to the great things about them which he does certainly emphasize on a lot of the other songs here and the cool thing about this album and honky chateau to me anyway is that we often talk about how 
when we kind of are frustrated with albums or we don't connect with an album, we talk about the perspective by which, you know, it's written with, if, at least if our problem is with the writing. And we talk about how, you know, sometimes people can sort of overreach themselves or embody a perspective that maybe they aren't exactly equipped to do. And I would argue that Honky Chateau and The Stranger are both albums that simultaneously kind of succeed and fail at wholly embodying another perspective. And that is exactly what makes them both great. Elton's kind of inability to fully transplant himself into the visage of an American Southerner, that, uh, like, if he did that on Honky Chateau, the contrast of the album is totally eliminated. And then, you know, a song like Rocket Man doesn't stand out the way that it does if, you know, the whole album is wholly consistent within that same vision. Like it's moments and like, you know, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's, you have to have that contrast. And that comes from somebody who partially understands a different culture and, and different sort of instrumental palette and embodies it well. And also simultaneously somebody who isn't, you know, wasn't born there and, and, and isn't as familiar. It's the outsider perspective. And the same thing is true with The Stranger, is that this is Billy trying to act like he is someone that he isn't. He's trying to embody this sort of omnipresence character who views everyone else and kind of simultaneously judges them. But by doing this, he reveals a lot more about himself than maybe he initially meant to, or maybe that was all part of the plan all along. But it's these sort of contrasting elements that make these records great. It's just that, like, it all comes from alchemy. It all comes from different things moving together and working in synergy or not synergy. And it's these albums being such great testaments to the, you know, the great artistry of the people behind them, because it's not simple, you know? It's not just this is an album full of good songs. It's like, what do these albums say about the people who made them? What do these songs say about each other? They're amazing examples of the album as an art form and how you can connect different parts of it and view and grasp different ideas through different lenses that the artists present you with. And that's why I think they're really great to view alongside one another. And it's like, again, you view Billy Joel and Elton John as these guys who are very similar, come from similar places. And then you get into the weeds of these relatively like more modest albums in their presentation and you know they couldn't be more different the 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 core i guess most critical moment on both records is rocket man and the stranger you know the, the these songs about recognizing within yourself a distance from some ideal that you have been trying to attain yeah i think these are great records i think these as you say, they beautifully encapsulate something core to the artist and their continual journey towards self-discovery and self-actualization. And that makes them great soundtracks for eras of your life when you are kind of trying to actualize yourself or kind of realize where you want to be and how you want to view the world. Let us know at home what you think of these records. Elton John's Honky Chateau and Billy Joel's The Stranger. How do you connect with them? How do you think they compare? What do you think they say about the artists? And what do you think of our somewhat brief, but hopefully enlightening summaries of what makes these albums great? Let us know your thoughts at home. We want to continue the conversation in the comments below. We want to get your perspectives on these two great artists. 
If you want to go above and beyond and support the channel directly for just $1 a month, you can hit the join button, become a member of the Jams and Tea family, get your name in the title crawl of each video on this channel. Plus, if you want to recommend us some music to talk about in one of our now episodes, your recommendation will go to the top of the pile. Until next time, though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, the New York Times, all the news that's fit to print.